Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com, and it features interviews and stories about and related to music. Jim Godfrey is an Ivor Novello award-winning BAFTA-nominated musician and composer. He wrote and or produced numerous top 10 hits with various pop acts during the 2000s and also scored four number one records across the world, spending a combined total of eight weeks at the top of the UK charts alone. His group Frost are a four-piece band from the UK and one of my personal favorites. And they feature Craig Blundell on drums, Sean Mitchell on guitar, Nathan King on bass, and of course, Jem Godfrey on keyboards. They're currently working on the third album due for release during the second quarter of 2016. Tell me about your musical background. When did you first get started playing music? I oh, it was it, it, late or early, depending on who you speak to. If you speak to Jordan Rudess, it's really late, and if you speak to me, it's quite early. It's um, it's it was about nine, and uh, I remember um, there was a program here called Top of the Pops on back in the seventies, which used to be like a sort of chart show program for stuff that was in the charts, and I remember. Um, watching that one evening and Roxy Music were on and I remember seeing Brian Eno dressed head to foot in silver painted silver I think and uh, with his head shaved playing a mini Moog and I remember thinking that's for me I want some of that so I basically kind of and I, I it was it was it was synthesizers really that was the thing that was quite alluring so I said to I piped up to my parents and said I'd like some piano lessons please which completely not them for six because we weren't in any way musical as a family um, and so they, I think more out of shock than anything, they agreed to pay for some piano lessons. I did about, I think I did about nine months, um, which I really didn't like. So I gave them up <laughs> and uh, didn't, didn't really think about it again for another sort of year. And then I just sort of started teaching myself. We had this little organ keyboard thing, sort of Casio keyboard in the house. And uh, my brother was, was sort of getting deeply into Genesis at that point. I must have been about 11 and uh, so I just basically taught myself to play by copying Tony Banks' keyboard solos. <laughs> and that's, that was kind of the start of it, really. How did you end up producing pop music with Bill Padley? Uh, a, a, series of, a series of very tangential uh, circumstances kicked off by my telling a massive, great big lie. Basically what happened was I'd been um, unemployed for two years. I was about, fuck, I must be about 21, 2021. I've been trying to get bands up and running without any success because, you know, it's, 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 it was tough then, it's tough today. And uh, in the end, I thought, well, I need to do something with my life, otherwise this is all going to go, this is all going to unravel pretty quickly because I left school 
early without any qualifications as well. So convinced was I that I was going to be a musician when I was a hot-headed 17-year-old. So I flounced out without any without any um, qualifications and <laughs> spent two years on the dole and thought, right, I better do something about this. So I borrowed, is, is probably the best way to describe it, for that read stole, um, some, there was a there was a job going for a production assistant at a radio station here called Virgin Radio, which has just started up, big national station, but it was still quite young. And uh, I basically I nicked somebody else's production demo and said it was mine, and submitted it. Uh, and I got an interview, and I went in, and from that um, I ended up getting a trial week there. And I didn't know anything about radio, so basically what I would do is I would. Um, I'd kind of just blag it and go, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd done some stuff in recording studios because of music, so I, I wasn't totally lost at sea in a, in a studio, but it's a different kind of studio, this. And um, basically, I, was, I spent five, five days there. I'd work sort of during the day with everybody, and I'd sort of blag it, and then they'd all go home, and I would stay in the studio and work all night learning how the tape machines work, the playout systems worked. I read the manuals for the computers. I just read everything, taught myself how a radio studio works in a week. I didn't get any sleep. But, you know, back then I, I could cope with, with very, very little sleep. And uh, basically by the end of the week, I'd done enough to get the job, which was extraordinary. It was against me and some other guy, and I remember I, I, I prevailed. And uh, from there, it was, um, I spent two years working there, learning a hell of a lot of things about production, and we got Pro Tools and, you know, Broadcast and EQ, and it was just the most intense but brilliant training about you know getting the hang of sonics and from there i got headhunted by bbc radio one which is sort of it was a big still is it's the sort of biggest youth radio station in the uk and um i started working there and i was there for a couple of years and because of the very nature of what that was uh, a lot of djs were there obviously a lot of um, pluggers song pluggers record companies people they'd be passing through the door you get to meet all kinds of people and it sort of finally emerged. They sort of said, oh, you're, you're a bit musical, aren't you? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I can, I can play. And um, it just got to this very sort of strange situation where one of the DJs there said, oh, you know, my um, the company I run, um, we're making a, <clears throat> we're making a, a sax, saxophone covers album. Um, do you want to, do you want to work on it? And I remember thinking, no, not really, no. So I said, no, no, you're all right. Thanks for that. Thanks for the offer. So, uh, so that kind of that passed by the by the by, <clears throat> and then about six months later, the same DJ said, "Oh, I'm starting up a music company um, to produce records for people. Do you, do you fancy do you fancy having a go?" And I thought, "Yeah, that sounds a bit more that sounds a bit more like it." So I got together with um, this guy Bill Padley, who was who was the the other guy in this company, and we sort of I think we fluffed around for about six months, and then. Um, the, the first thing we really got to work on was this Atomic Kitten track, which and they were they were very much on their uppers. They were about to be dropped. They'd done terribly in the charts. They tanked. It was a sort of teeny bop pop preteen squeaky thing that nobody really liked. And they had this half finished song, so we came in and finished it off and produced it and did the mix, and it went to number one for a month and sold a million copies. <laughs> So, um, and that was the start of it, really. So it all, it all, in a very long-winded way, it all came about by telling a great big lie. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I had nothing else to lose, so I thought, well, do you know what? If I don't do this, then it's, you know, it's either going to, it's either going to go terribly badly, or if I've got nothing to lose. So I gave it a go, and by some very, very random fluke and set of lucky circumstances, I managed to get something going. So there you go. How does producing pop music? differ from producing prog rock? Um, <clears throat> there's more, well, first of all, there's infinitely more freedom doing prog rock because um, it's, it, it, it's, it's not as popular, basically. That's the truth of it. I've, the thing I've discovered is when, when something starts to make a lot of money, you'd be amazed how many people suddenly appear out of the woodwork with an opinion. You know, oh, I th oh yes, you should do this, because it's that. It's, it's, it's success. Success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan, isn't it? Is that that, isn't that, that phrase? And uh, it's that thing of, of uh, with prog, because it is what it is and where it is in the, in the sort of global scheme of things, people tend to leave you alone to get on with it, because A, it's a very, it's a very um, 
unique form of music and it's not really you can't really sort of an a and r man i've never heard an a and r man say you should put some more 30 second notes in there well there's not enough drum solo you know so it's a kind of it's a different sort of thing i think with 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 it's more of a it's more of an artistic statement on behalf of the artist and of course the lyrical companies that i've worked with in in prog rock um are very very they're very indulgent they let you pretty much get on with what you want which is which is which is rather sweet and i think with with pop it's much more controlled and restricted because i think obviously there's an awful lot more money going around you know the videos are going to cost a million dollars and all you know the rest of it there's promotion all the stuff you've got to do i think there's an awful lot more riding on a pop release which is why there's an awful lot more people telling you what you can and can't do so i think that's the main difference tell me about how frost came about well, I'd kind of, the thing was, is I'd been doing, we were doing the pop thing for about five years at that point, and it had been, yeah, been going really well, excuse me. But like with anything, if you, if you do too much of one thing, it's a bad thing. You know, I think what it was, was I was getting very tired of, of writing these very simple songs. There's nothing wrong with that, but I just think, you know, this, this, as a musician, and as a writer, you do need to exercise all your muscles. And I think I was kind of, I was getting very strong in one area and quite weak in others. So I just, I, I was literally at home one day on the piano. And there's a song on the first album, first Frost album, called Hyperventilate, which is the which is the opening track. And I just started playing that riff on the piano and thinking, oh, that's quite nice. Yeah, and I didn't really think anything of it. And it kind of just festered for a few months. And uh, so I'd come back and I'd sit down and, you know, be another little bit and I wouldn't think anything of it. And then I came home one day and wrote the whole thing on the piano pretty much. And I'm thinking, well, that clearly is a sign. I've clearly got something that needs addressing. So, um and I'd kind of, I'd always been, a, you know, I'd, I'd prog had always been sort of around, you know, I'd, I'd been in a prog band when I was a teenager and um, I'd listened to sort of prog. I had sort of gotten quite out of tr- touch with prog through my 20s because I'd sort of, you know, working in radio and you kind of get exposed to different kinds of music. And I'd got, I'd got very heavily into electronic music at that point, like William Orbit and, and sort of sub-sub and very, very sort of darker electronic app, which I really, I still really like. And, um, but the prog thing, I thought, I hadn't, you know, it kind of, it struck me as the ultimate kind of anti-statement against pop. I thought, well, no one's doing prog. So little did I know, I hadn't done any research, I didn't realise it was actually sort of still thriving quite nicely. But I sort of think, I thought, that's a really sort of anti-pop statement. So I basically just started working on this album um, over the course of, I think it took about nine months, I think, from start to finish. I didn't really talk about it because obviously no one knew I was and... There was no pressure. It wasn't signed. So I just basically put this album together. And, um, yeah, it, it kind of, it's just snowballed from there. But I think had, had I not been doing so much pop, then Frost wouldn't have happened, which is quite ironic, really. But you had several incarnations with the band? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's like, I remember Dave Grohl said of the Foo Fighters, he said, because they went through a lot of personnel changes, he said, the thing, the thing about what we've done is, you have, we've, you know, normally, but when bands are evolving, they do their personal changes behind, you know, quietly when they're not, when they, you know, they're not in the spotlight or they're not in the in the limelight. And uh, he said that with them, they had to do, they had to go do all the growing pains in public. I think Frost was a bit like that because it kind of, it, it, it all kicked off much, much more than I thought it was going to, and and it's still, I'm still surprised by that actually. Um, because the first person I got in touch with was John Mitchell, because I'd done, I did some re- research, I'd bought some albums and was listening to stuff. And he'd just done the Kino album at that point. And uh, I remember thinking, God, he's all right, he's quite, you know, I was after somebody, I was after a guitarist, because at the moment the whole thing, I'm not a guitarist particularly. So I needed someone who could do some lead guitar. And um, I emailed him totally, I was just, well, you know, I'll email him. Because he foolishly left his email address on some website. <laughs> So I emailed him. He hasn't done. He took that down very swiftly, and uh, he. I kind of emailed. I said, "Hello, you don't know me. I'm some bloke from London. Some idiot. Um, I've just done an album. Would you play some guitar? I've got money and everything. I can pay you. It would be amazing." So I sent this email, and uh, I didn't hear anything from him for about six weeks. I thought, "Well, okay, fine, fair enough." <laughs> and then the day my son was born, my first, my first son, uh, he emailed me. I said, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, fine. And of course, at that point, I might have just had my first born child, so I was, my head was in a completely different space. So I was like, not now, mate, not now. So eventually, um, we sort of met up, and uh, he, he really liked what he heard. And, and obviously with John, because John knows everybody, because he is Mr. Prog, he, he basically, he suggested the first lineup. He said, oh, well, I, you know, this is bass player, John Jarrett, it's great, and 
and they've and this Andy Edwards has just joined IQ with John, and he's quite good. And so it was basically this kind of this proto lineup um, that evolved. It evolved from there, really. I think what happened then. Um, Andy left because he was he was going through a bit of a phase in his life. I think where he was he was he just come off doing stuff with Robert Plant, and he was in a bit of a he was in a bit of a strange place. I think he just needed to clear the decks just to sort his life out, which he did, which was fine. Uh, and then I think John left. John John Jowett had some personal stuff going on as well, so he needs to focus on that. And then we just kind of it all evolved from there. Really, it was, it's been. The, 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 the lineup we've got now is actually the longest lineup we've had. So I kind of see this as the lineup now. This is the stable lineup. Craig Blundell with Stephen Wilson at the Warfield here in San Francisco and uh, it was a great show he's an incredible drummer um, and you also have Nathan King on bass and he's the guitar player for Level 42 how did he come into the band yeah he is and he also he was part time in Advice as well um, uh, again that was that was um, how did that come about I think that was that was John had been playing with Nate, I think, in It Bites. And um, it's too many Johns. This was the problem. It's like John Jarrett, John Mitchell. So JJ, he he, he departed our world um, after we did uh, Rosfest. And yeah, I just think, I think John just said, oh, well, I've got, we're, we're playing, we've got, um, we've got a sub in It Bites at the moment, Nathan King, very, very handy. You know, he, he, he'd probably do it. So I, we had this very awkward conversation. I rang up Nathan, it was like, we were, we <laughs> were going, hi, hi. Do you want to be my band? He was like, "Well, how much? You, how much are you paying me?" I was like, "Well, how much do you want?" <laughs> it was all quite, it was all quite awkward. But we got there in the end, and uh, he's been, as I say, it's been. This is, I love this lineup because it's so. It's not only are they just the most astonishing musicians, but they're just they're the most they're the funniest people as well. So when we do get together, we just end up we spend an awful lot of time sort of just asking about really, which and we do have to suddenly go right. Come on, we really should rehearse. <laughs> and you and you did quite a bit of that in the Rockfield Files. Yeah, yeah, that was that was. We, I think we were there for two days in the end, and um, because we kind of we wanted to, I've been meaning to do a DVD for ages, but I'm really not a fan of the whole "come on, clap your hands" thing, and you know the live and your foot on the monitor. And I wanted to do something a little bit different, and um, I just thought if we do, if we do, why don't we just do something where we just we literally it's like a, it's like a filmed rehearsal. And it's actually interesting that quite a few bands have done it since I've noticed. So it was obviously we obviously touched the nerve, but it was brilliant fun. And also, there's, there's no pressure because we we did a we tried to film a gig and it went horribly wrong. <laughs> so um, we just thought if we just hold ourselves up into in at Rockfield for a couple of days, just have some fun. And I think it really came across like that. It really, I, I'm really proud of that as a, as a as a piece of work. I first heard your music on the Dividing Line, and I was blown away by the sound that I heard. 
you know, I discovered a lot of new music on that station, but uh, your music was probably the one that hit me the most and made me want to go out and buy it. The first song was, uh, was a uh, black light machine. Black light machine. Actually, that was the first thing. That was the first thing anybody heard. I remember I'd done it. I just thought it was before the album came out. I don't even, I don't even sure we were signed at this point. I was just thinking, well, I've, I've, I've got this bit of music, so I might as well just put it out. And that was, that was the thing. I sort of released it into a little, I think I put it on my blog that I had at the time. And I've, the reaction was, I've just, I've never, never had a reaction like it since actually with the band. It was just, everyone just going, who are you? What have you been doing? What is this music? It was quite funny. It's very nice, but. <laughs> I thought, oh god, I've peaked early now. This <laughs> everyone's going to be saying, "Oh, you've been as good since." So hopefully, this third album will address that balance. Well, tell me about the new album. It's all still, it's all still quite embryonic. I mean, I've got it's. I think there's eleven songs. Um, it's 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 been really good fun. I mean, there's been awful lots of stops and starts. It's been seven years between the second album and this album, and I'm the the. Everyone's been very, very patient with me because I've been, I've, I have been guilty of being, of crying wolf a few times in the intervening seven years. Going, I'm doing an album. Oh no, I'm not. Oh yes, I am. Oh no, I'm not. So I def- this is definitely happening. What well, basically what happened was, was um, we had four kids, and I had no idea how difficult that is raising a family. And uh, basically, it just, it, I just ran out of time. And I'm building, I'm building up a, a couple of businesses as well, which are now up and running. So between all that, I just—it was my own fault. I was—I was desperately trying to make these records, but I just—it just—it's—I underestimated massively the task of bringing four human beings into the planet and making sure they don't die of starvation and stuff like that. So it's been—it's um, been—it's been quite a challenge. But that's—they're all kind of grown up now. They're all—they're getting grown up. They, they can—they can do things like make their own breakfast, which makes a huge difference. So. <laughs> um, yeah, this new album, it's, it's probably, I mean, I, it, I struggle to, 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 to say what it's like. It probably has more in common with the first album than the second album, I would say. Um, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not such a guitar fest like the second album was. Um, it, yeah, I don't know, it reminds me more of Million Town, than, than, but at the same time, it is still its own thing. But I think it has, it has nods to the first album, and in fact, there's a lot more keyboards going on. 
and not quite so much guitar. So it's I'm really excited. There's 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 all kinds of things going on. Um, of uh, Joe Satriani's playing on it. There's little bits and pieces. It, it's, it's kind of it's just a nice. It's, it's I'm really excited. I'm really enjoying it. I'm sort of trying to do two or three hours a day in the evenings on it, just chipping away and chipping away, and everything everything that's 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 coming together so far is all, is, is, I feel very much like I did when I did the first album of like, Oh, I can't wait till people hear this. So it's, it's, I'm really excited. I'm really, really excited. So hopefully it'll be done. We're, we're doing the drums in October. So I'm hoping that it will be finished. My plan is to get the whole thing finished by Christmas. And then it's up to the record company when they put it out. It would be a frosty Christmas. <laughs> it certainly would be. It's, I'll be, yeah, I'll certainly, I'll, I'll need a rest. I'm hoping it'll be, I'm kind of, it, that'll be the last year I, Get the whole thing finished, down tools, and have a couple of weeks off. That's my that's my dream currently. Well, tell me a bit about your writing process. Do you uh, write everything all at once, or do you compile lots of things? Yeah, it kind of it it, it tends to some things like some things like hyperventilate. I pretty much just just wrote. I wrote them because it's it's almost like bits suggest themselves after you write other bits. So that was quite easy that one. And also that was a. That was a mathematical thing. I wanted something that goes down descending time signatures pretty much. So it's like seven, six, five, four, three. It's, it kind of it goes down and back up again. So that was the side. That was my problem solving with Million Town. That that was <clears throat> that was. I had lots of bits on dictaphones knocking around that I'd sort of been building up over the course of a year or two. And this, some of it was, some of them were, were pop ideas originally. I mean, like the other the, the chorus on the other me was was a pop song originally, um, which I just heavied up and slowed down. And uh, yeah, a million times—they're all like that. I just—I kind of—I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll be sitting in the studio one day and just mucking around on the guitar or the keyboards, and I'll come up with a couple of chords, and I think, oh, that's quite nice. And I'll take my dictaphone and record them. And then what happens is when I'm when I'm halfway through writing something, and I come to a point where I can't progress any further, I just go through the through the tape, and, and then more often than not, there'll be a little bit. I think, oh, if I if I transpose that and speed that up, that'll work. So it's more like doing a big, big jigsaw, really. It's it's kind of, uh, and then and then the, the secret is to kind of just add the add the sound afterwards so that it all kind of hangs together sonically. That's 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 the main thing. I remember with the thing with Million Town is, um, I wanted to do this great big reprise of the opening bit at the end, which is what happened. But I got to the point where I'd written the bit coming out of the 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 the, the, the bit before the end, the kind of the hanging bit before the big instrumental, and I suddenly realised I was a semitone out. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole reason why the end of the song is a semitone sharper than the bit at the start that's the only reason <laughs> and you did something similar with your track the dividing line yeah the dividing line that was that took six weeks i was thinking about that because it was they, they, it was the 10th anniversary and um again it was that thing of i hadn't i hadn't done much frost at that point for a few years and, and when there's been a when there's been a big sort of gap of not doing stuff, it's all those kind of ideas that have been sitting around for two years, they can all just suddenly go, and sort of splurge out. So actually the writing process was quite quick for that. But that was, I mean, that was brilliant fun to do. I, that's probably, I'd say that's like my top three favourite Frost songs. I really, really like that because it's, 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 it's just, I just thought, well, we're never going to play this live. Ha ha. And, um, so I just I just did anything. I just thought I'm gonna chuck everything out. So I'm just gonna go mad. That's why there's the backwards bit and then there's that mad bit in the middle and then there's the huge bit at the end and, and um Tara bushes on it, you know, all this kind of it, it just was this I just thought I was gonna go mad. If I was if I was gonna make like a like a like a feature film, this was it's kinda of like the feature film version of the band, I thought. Um and it was when we actually did do it live, it's a nightmare to play live. We never quite pulled it off. So we don't do that one live anymore. <laughs> what was it like touring with Joe Satriani? Amazing, yeah, amazing. It was, it was, um, yeah, it was kind of. It came completely out of the blue. Again, this is Frost. Is it's amazing what these things, how how life just chucks these strange moments at you. Um, I was, I was, I'd, I'd done a keyboard solo for. A, there's a band called Big Big Train who were who were this sort of brilliant English, very quintessentially English prog band. And um, they, I sort of know Greg and the, and, and the band, okay, so I don't know them very well, but I know them enough to say hello to, and they're really nice guys. So they said, oh, would you do a keyboard solo for this track we did called The Underfall Yard? So I said, yeah, yeah, great, great. So out came the shred. I got my shredder out and uh, did the usual and uh, sent it off. And it was all very good, and everyone said, brilliant, thank you very much. 
And then about six months later, Dave Gregory, X of XTC, emailed me totally out of the blue. I've never spoken to Dave before. And I was like, oh, hello. He said, hi, hi. He said, um, uh, my mate, Mike Keneally, uh, he, can't, he, he can't do some shows for, for Joe Satriani, who's on tour. Would you do them? <laughs> and I was like, um, uh, what, keyboards? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, um, yeah, okay. So and it was one of those things where I just said yes, and I didn't think about it, and then suddenly, like, four months later, suddenly it was like the email started going, right, we're doing this set, and we're playing this, and we're doing that. And I thought, oh, God, this is actually happening, isn't it? Oh, oh, right, okay. And it was an incredible learning curve, because I learned all the stuff. I'd gone to all the track lists. We did the set lists and stuff. And then actually they said, they said, come out on tour with us for a few days before you do the shows, and, you know, and you can see how Mike does it live. And I'm, I'm very much, when I play keyboards, I, I like to program everything on synthesizers and have like zones and samples and you know all kind of little making life easier basically whereas mike is absolutely trad old school 70s keyboard player he had like electric piano a uh, fender road sorry and like a cork piano which did some strings and he was and basically and and he uh he was changing all these sounds on the fly and playing all this stuff and i was having to play, use his keyboard rig basically so I'd know where to hide. And also the other thing was I learned all the songs I learned all the songs in, in their concert pits on the album. But for, for for reasons I don't I must ask Joe this, for reasons I don't know. He always plays live, he plays everything in semitone down. I don't know why. So and obviously these keyboards have no transpose function, so I had to suddenly relearn everything in semitone down without any of my safety nets. And it was it was the most terrifying, terrifying two gigs I've ever done in my life. So yeah, it was um, we did that. Basically, we did the gigs, and I drove. I drove down to Cornwall where my family was staying, and I, I we finished the gigs. And I drove down from Birmingham, which is about four hour drive, and I got into the into the place where we were staying, and I burst into tears <laughs> because I was just just the relief, just the, the just the huge the, sort of the, the the exhalation of all that stress and tension, and it had been. I'd never worked as hard as I did that time trying to just think on my feet. But, and these, so, these shows were long. They were like two and a half hours long, these shows. And it was just, and I, was, I was absolutely mentally exhausted by the end of it. But then we went back out with G3 later, a couple of years later, and I had my keyboards with me. So it was much, much easier. And you did some gigs with Steve Vai as well? Yes, yes. I got the laser eye from Vai a few times. A few times. I, don't think, I don't think I was quite, I, was, I wasn't quite up to scratch. I get the sense, I get the sense I was a slight disappointment to Vi because I've never heard from him since. Yeah, a couple of times. He, he'd kind of try and catch you out on stage by doing fake sort of guitar throws to the stabs and stuff and we'd kind of, we, you had to kind of watch him to make sure he wasn't joking and a couple of times I got that wrong and the drummer got it wrong and he was just, he, he was, he was, uh, he's a tough, he's a tough taskmaster is Mr. V. And you played a gig with Steve Lawson, didn't you? Yes. Oh God, yeah. We, it was improvised. We did an improvised gig, which was um, which was interesting, and also I made it doubly difficult by not having keyboards. It was my I played Chapman stick, which if you hear the recordings, you will hear that I'm not that <laughs> at that point not that conversant with it. But um, I thought it's an improvised gig. It's going to be maybe forty people will rock up. I can play Chapman stick. I can say I've done a gig playing Chapman stick as my instrument, and uh, it was actually brilliant fun because I've never I've never done an improvised gig, and. Um, I wouldn't mind doing another one actually because it was brilliant fun. But I think I'd, I was, there were a few too many, for my liking, I was a few too many bum notes from me, so I can't really listen to it without wincing a bit. And um, and it, but as a journey, it was brilliant because it was you know it's too music. I played with Andy before, I hadn't even met Steve, but because it was because it was improvised, there was no rehearsal, which was brilliant. So we just kind of rocked up and and just played this stuff. It was bizarre, but brilliant, absolutely brilliant experience. I was tooling around the internet tonight and I noticed that you'd worked on this album by a band called Losers and uh, I had never heard of them or knew you were involved with them in any way. Uh, maybe you could tell me a little bit about it. Again, I was, it's, this, is a, this is a strange um, it's, it's a strange sort of connection with that. The, the bass player in the band, Eddie Temple Morris, uh, he actually used to be my boss at Radio 1, funnily enough. I was working in radio and uh, he's the bass player in the band and we've always stayed in touch and he, en he ended up going off to work for MTV and doing telly and being a TV presenter because he's a tall good looking fella. He, uh, it was just this sort of random event. He said, oh, I'm doing this band. Do you, can you just sort of, he said, you're good with audio and sound. I said, well, that's very kind of you. 
said, um, he said, would you just have a listen to this album I'm working on with this band and see what you think? And I just loved it from the first moment. I went, I love this. I want to help. Let me do whatever you want. So I ended up being their kind of, their ghost um, fifth member. I'm not technically in the band, but I kind of, I was, I was, I was their, their sort of George Martin kind of character. <laughs> so they would, they'd sort of send the songs over and then I just add all the sort of Pro Tools fairy dust and sparkles and all the clever bits and the little sort of, all the little buzzy, fluffy, sonic sweets, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it was, I, mean, I didn't write any of it, but it was, I didn't, I ended up mixing it and sort of co-producing it. And I, it's, it's brilliant. They've actually just done the, they're working on the third album at the moment. I haven't got time to do that. So I'm a bit, I'm a bit sad about that. So you only, you worked on their second one, but not the first one? Yeah. I didn't do the first one. I just did the second one and I'm not doing the third one either, but I might do the fourth <laughs> if they get that far. Just the even ones. Yeah, yes, exactly. I only work with us a two or a four in a month. <laughs> what was it like winning the Ivor Novella Award? It was mad because, again, it's just this thing. I, I, I always, I can never get away from the fact that my entire career started because I told a lie. <laughs> and um, there's always that reference point for me. And it always, I always feel slightly kind of not, not a fraud, but because I've worked really, really hard and, and I continue to do so. But it is just that it always makes me realise just how much of life is based on the most random chance events, and and you know I I, I don't I don't really like the word luck, but I you know it, it's kind of fortune I suppose or or, or um, I don't know fate. No, it's not the right word. It's just it's amazing how it's just you know they start the sliding doors thing. You, you turn left one afternoon, and suddenly your whole life is completely different than had you turned right. And it's just, I think that whole winning the award thing, because it was for the, for the biggest selling record of that year, which, which that song was. Um, and of course, it's always the way. I mean, we wrote that song in Sweden. Um, I don't particularly like it. I don't particularly think it's the best thing we ever wrote. And it's always those songs that you kind of write in the morning thinking, yeah, I'll do, that end up becoming these great big kind of moments in your life. And then the ones that you spend ages crafting are still sitting on publisher's shelves somewhere <laughs> in London never to be heard again. So it's kind of, it's a difficult one. And again, you know, winning the award for that. And it's, it was a it was a not bittersweet because it's the most amazing day. And I love, you know, that whole thing of standing up and getting, and they're really heavy, the other fellas. They're made out of, I don't know, they're made out of tungsten or something. But it was, it was, um, again, just standing up there and saying, thank you very much. You know, I, what, I, what in my heart I was saying, I was going to say, thank you very much. It's a song I don't particularly like. <laughs> Wrote in a hurry. And it's funny how life throws these mad things at you. But of course you can't say that. So um, it was, yeah, it was, it was brilliant, but I, I'm not any, I'm, I'm not kidding myself that, you know, I'm, I'm a genius songwriter and it's the, it's the pinnacle of songwriting. It was, it was an okay song and, and, and it kind of just by, by fluke ended up as an X Factor song. So it was, it was destined to have a lot of exposure. So yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm a bit of a realist with that. Great day out. Well, how do you write pop music? Obviously, it's so different from Prague. Well, they're kind of you're, you're writing. You're, it's a it's a formula. You know, you've got to write the the lyric has got to be triumph out, out of adversity and positive message. And you know, it's it, you're you're basically you're writing you're writing to a brief. It's got to be start low. You know, and and it gets more powerful and uplifting. And the strings come in. And there's probably is there a key change? I can't remember. Probably. And you know, it, it's all that stuff. <clears throat> it's you, you're, you're writing. It's it's formula songwriting. But then people have been doing that since the Brill Building, you know. And and, and pop songwriting is is um, formulaic because it has to be because you, you know you're you're. It's like it's like making a cake. There's a certain set of things you have to do to make a cake. People are going to want to eat. You know, you can't you can't you can't put iron filings in it. That kind of stuff. And it's it's the same thing. And, and I think a lot of musicians and writers who don't do pop or who, or who maybe look down their nose a bit at pop don't necessarily realize that it is a discipline you know that these people don't luck into the well, <laughs> he says these people don't um you know people very successful songwriters like max martin and you know kathy dennis these people it's not by accident that they, that they can do this it, it is a discipline and it is really you've got to be really good at it you know like you've got to be good at anything to to be successful i think um so I've I've got nothing but respect for, for for people that work in pop because they do get a lot of flack from other musicians mainly, and um, 
you know, it's it's really hard because there's 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 a million people out there that, that think they're better than you at doing it, and they probably are. And so it's a, it's a struggle with Prague, to be honest. It's much less pressured because there's not that many people queuing up to do it. So it's you know it's 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 a it's a it's a difficult thing doing pop. Well, we need to have Prague Idol. Prague Idol. Now there you go. That's a thing. <laughs> Longest Cape Award and. <laughs> Yeah, or longest modular cord. Yeah, yeah longest modular cord. And also longest, it seems to be longest um, little beard. That seems to be a prog thing at the moment, doesn't it? Jordan's got a gigantic little beard. I think we need to have, there needs to be like an award for the longest little facial tick thing. That's, that's, the, that's the award we want. I saw some website recently that was guys with beards and their modulars. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, I have. I actually, I've just built my. I've just put a modular. I've got a little modular rig here now, actually. But I can assure you, I am hair free, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we're we going to hear some modular synthesizer on the new Frost album. Yeah, definitely. But I've only, I've literally only had it about three weeks. So I'm just trying to learn. I, I, I went mad as usual. I don't. Everyone said, get a, just get one or two modules and learn how they work. And I went, no, no, I'm going to buy loads and put a massive break big case. So I've done that. So as a result, I'm now having to go through each module and try and work out what it all does. But I've got to say, I was very sceptical to start with, but I totally get it now. It is, you can make the most unbelievable happy accident. I just, basically, well, I just leave Pro Tools running and just muck around with it and then, and then hack the audio afterwards into, into rhythms and shapes. And it's, it, There's no way I could make any sounds like that on anything else. And it will definitely, definitely be going on the album. And you, you'll probably spot it a mile off because it'll just be this kind of mad... <laughs> no, I love it. Well, do you have any other new gear? Um, I've just got my my absolute my latest edition, which is the thing I love. I love it. I love it. Is the new Sequential Prophet Six synth, which um, is just lovely. I've got to say, I've not. I wasn't. I've, I've had to wait six months for it because. Dave was making sure he got them all right, and they all came out from. I think they're in San Francisco, and they Sequential Dave. Yeah, they're just right down there in North Beach. So yeah, it's um, it arrived last week, and it's I've just oh, I can't stop playing with it. It's it's all the profitiness that it, that uh, the Profit Five was, but it's kind of got so much more besides. It's not people were going to go, oh, it's not very um, programmable, as in you know like routings and modular um, modulations and stuff. But it's it's a real point and shoot synth, which is what I like. I don't like menu diving and, and too many options. I like a really simple synth of like right, put that there put that there and make that there and do that sound. It's, and it's just, it's just lovely. It's so lovely that I'm selling a bunch of other keyboards because I don't need them anymore now. <laughs> so yeah, I love it. It's absolutely 10 out of 10 synth. Well done, Dave. Loving your work. Yeah. The synth shop in San Francisco robot speak has, you know, connection with Dave and obviously sells the Dave Smith instruments in there. Uh, I got to go in, um, they had a little demonstration. They do like little shows every once in a while, but they did one with the old Pro One uh, and the new Pro Two, and so they had Carson on the the Pro Two and this other guy um, Jonah Sharp on the Pro One, and I think they had the Tempest there and maybe some other gear, but uh, you know it was kind of like a synthesizer battle. Yeah, I remember because there's, like, there's loads of police cars going past at one point. <laughs> <laughs> now, Carson seems like a nice bloke. I, you know, I like I like the whole Dave ethos. I like that way of they they seem quite relaxed about life. I think that's a good way to be. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. Well, can you tell me about the Cardiacs? Because this is a band that you turned me on to just by mentioning them in an interview. Might actually been the Dividing Line interview. And, you know, as soon as I heard them, I was like, oh, this is, this is another great, great band. They're legend. I mean, Cardiacs, it's, it's, I mean, I've actually, I've been lucky enough to see them a few times live and it is, it is like going to another planet and interacting with aliens. It's just, it is, it's the most, although subsequently, actually, interestingly, I've, I've recently started getting quite into Robert Wyatt, you know, Soft Machine. Uh, he's a very sort of quintessentially English writer. I can actually suddenly, now I know some of Robert Wyatt's earlier stuff, I can actually hear 
the influence he had on Cardiacs. I think there's quite a. It's, it's, it's. I think that with any any form of music, once you kind of know the influences, you can start. It starts to make a bit more sense. But with 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 Cardiacs, it's kind of. Um, I didn't know any of those reference points, so it just sounded like another planet had arrived, you know, or you suddenly had like a portal into a different universe because it's just so mad and so bonkers. Some of it is really hard work listening to it, but other, you know, but then it's kind of what makes it such a rewarding thing is that they'll suddenly just go into a glade of, of deeply melodic, you know, music or incredibly powerful music and then go back out into this chaotic atonal, you know, and it, it's just it's just the most exhilarating I still think it's the most exhilarating band I've ever heard. It's sort of, I mean, also it was, you know, I think I think Tim, he's on the mend now. I don't know, I don't know how on the mend because they all get quite rightly so. I suppose they get quite guarded about. They're quite protective of him, you know. So if I ask Carl, is there? They're like, well, you know, he's all right, but they don't really elaborate too much. But I hope I hear he's on the mend, and I hope he's I hope he's on the mend because it was just you know genius, genius composer. What inspires you, either musically or just? in life all kinds of things really other other people's music which i think is i'm, I'm always a bit um perplexed when musicians say oh, i don't buy i don't listen to other people's music you sort of think well, it's kind of it that'd be like i don't know it'd be like it'd be like saying i'm only gonna drink milk the rest of my life you know you're like oh all right it's it's kind of it, uh, it uh, all kinds of things you know like there'll be there'll be sometimes it'll be like a bit of a bit of music as that's in the background on a documentary or it'll be film you know um or just a random thing like you know you end up there's a there's a band called sun lux or song lux which is um comprised of a, of a composer called ryan lott and he worked he did a lot of the stuff so a lot of the sound design on the soundtrack to looper that film was like about three years ago and it was a really random thing i went on the band camp website just totally randomly and it's like you know um random button or you know what i don't know I, I ended up for some reason i ended up at this band's page and it's the most incredible music i've heard in about three years and it was again it's just this thing of and that's so inspiring and this is it's there's so much so much other music out there that you just think oh I, i'd love that i'd like to take a bit of that and put that in my thing i think it's it's always the inspiration of, of taking of going of being a magpie really a musical magpie going, i want that bit i'm gonna put that bit here and put this here and, and you know and i think it's I'm constantly inspired by other people's music, mainly. Uh, reading books, there'll be like, sometimes you'll find a word or a phrase and you think, oh, well, that, that, that would be good. I could, I could put that in. I'm just basically stealing other people's work and putting it in my own. But it, I, inspir- I suppose that's what inspiration is, though, isn't it? It's, 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 it's finding elements of other people's creativity that, that, that kind of resonate with your own and, and make you kind of better at what you do or further the projects that you're working on. So, yeah, everything, really. Do you ever go on any writing retreats? Yeah, I, I kind of, we went, I did back in the pop days, we did, we did go to uh, the Caribbean, the Caribbean, I should say, uh, to do, to do writing. But all we ended up doing was getting drunk. <laughs> so, no, I said, I, I, it, that didn't work. I, I, I'm pretty good at, um, because I'm sort of I'm quite disciplined about writing. So I, this is my retreat, really. I've got, I've got a house full of four noisy kids under 10 and my, my garden's in the studio. So, I'm in my retreat. <laughs> well, this is the question we always ask on Music Life Radio: is what does music mean to you? It's 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 my it's it's life. I think it's my life. It's everything I am. I'm not really anything other than a musician. I think it's it's I'm a sort of part-time parent, a full-time parent. But you know, in terms of I'm I'm I, I it's it's amazing. I, I, I lie in bed thinking about it. I wake up with ideas. I, I, you know, I, I write things down about it. I do things like this. You know, I do it for a living. I spend an inordinate amount of time on websites looking at equipment <laughs> and buying bits of equipment and playing with them. And, you know, it's, and if I'm away on holiday, I need to take something with me so I can doodle stuff or, you know, write lyrics. It's, 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 I, I'm really, if you took music out of my life, I'm probably about 6% functioning human being, I think, apart from that, because it's, I really don't do anything else. I've got no other hobbies, particularly. I've just, you know, I do this, I, I, I'm in this studio sort of 10 hours a day, pretty much every day. So I really am, I am, it, it's, it's what I am. It's, it's, music is, is, yeah, it's kind of, it's what, my, what I'm made of, really. Sounds pretentious. <laughs> Thank you very much 
for your time. Well, you too, sir. Good to meet you. Uh, I wish you well with the new album. I can't wait to hear it. Have a good evening, sir. Okay, and have a good day. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you, mate. Okay, bye. I'd like to thank my guest, Jem Godfrey, as well as the other members of Frost, Craig Blundell, Nathan King, and John Mitchell. Check them out on frost.bandcamp.com. And you can also find their merchandise on themerchdesk.com. Check out the Rockfield files. You can find them on Facebook on Official Frost. We're going to leave you with one more track. This is Frost with The Dividing Line. I'm Josh Almond for Music Life Radio.